Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, Blockheads, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Mitch. And I'm Dungeon Master Chris. And we want to welcome you to this special episode where we are going to be talking about creating your own content. We're going to give a little bit of advice on how you should start off if you've never created your own content before. And then we're going to talk about a little thing called the DMs Guild uh, and what the DMs Guild is and what does it mean for you when you're creating your own content. And Chris, we have two special guests this episode. Who are they? We have Suzanne, who is the brand manager for Roll20. Yep. And we have Nolan T. Jones, who is one of the co-creators of Roll20, yep. who will be joining us in, in a little bit. It's pretty awesome. They'll talk a little bit about themselves and Roll20, and you definitely want to stick around for the meet to hear that. Yeah. But before we jump into the meet, Chris, we, as always, have five-star reviews. So let's get to those five-star reviews. That we do. Our first one comes from Killer Rue, and it says, Aspiring DM Listener, five stars. I'm a new DM in that I've run one adventure about, about 10 years ago. <laughs> I've been itching to play, but wanted to take a stab at DMing a full campaign and started collecting materials to do so when I came across this podcast. Is there such a thing as too many fun ideas? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I have binge listened to the first 25 episodes over the last month and love it. A lot of good ideas with plenty of fun asides, and every episode has been useful in some way. Not to mention that they sound like fun guys to have Ooh. at the head of a table and remind me of my favorite DMs. Uh -huh. Thanks. Appreciate yeah, that. Thank you. Definitely recommended this to new and experienced game masters alike, or even those who just want to know more about role-playing games. So thank you, Killer Roo, yeah. for that killer review. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. The next one comes from Fraxis333, entitled A Goldmine of Info. And he writes, This podcast is great for learning the ropes of D&D for GMs and players. When I see... New DMs asking for resources. I point them here and to Critical Role. Huh, thanks. I would love to see you guys revisit some of the original podcast topics. Also, I'm a big Matt Mercer fanboy, but I would love to see him on your show. We would too. So you know yeah. what? If you want to see Matt Mercer on your show, then tweet him about it. Say, you should be on the DMs block. Just everybody listening right now, do that. Spam them. Spam <laughs> Thank you so much, Praxis. Our next one is Scry So Hard, Archmage is going to find me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I feel like th whoever this is needs to make that into a YouTube yep. hit sensation right now. <laughs> so Scry So Hard, Archmages want to find me, writes, a treasure trove of knowledge and inspiration, five stars. An extremely useful resource for experienced DMs and an absolute must-have for new or inexperienced DMs running any edition. DM Mitch and DM Chris impart a treasure trove of useful information each episode and do so in an inspiring way. If you're trying to figure out how to create fun and compelling adventures, then this fun and compelling podcast should be your Dungeon Master's Handbook. Listen to one episode and try to roll a will save to resist its charm. You will fail because this podcast is too <laughs> awesome. So thank you, Scry So Hard, Archmages Want to Find Me, for your five-star review. I got two fun ones to say today. Mm, was so charming. The next one comes from K-Dog the Legendary. 
Man, these awesome names. <laughs> and he is entitled a plethora of information and ideas. I love that word. And he writes, as a new DM, I need all the help that I can get. And this podcast greatly delivers that much needed help. The hosts give tons of extremely helpful tips and ideas that you can plug right into your campaign and world. Personally, I am a huge fan of the Divine Spotlight and MTG series. It is not an exaggeration to say that this cast is as helpful as the DMG. Ooh, thank you. Ooh. Thank you so much. We are humbled by your your comment. That is very, very yeah, thank nice. Thank you for that. Well, Chris, with that, you know what time it is. You sent us there right now. It is time for the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meat? Carve it up! Fist the mouthful! No! The flight meat back on the menu, boys! All right, everyone. Today for the meet, we are joined by some very special guests. We are joined by Nolan T. Jones and Suzanne Wallace. Both are from Roll20. Say hello, you guys. Howdy. Hello. <laughs> so first, Nolan is the co-creator of Roll20. He is also the author of The House of Ore. He is also the author of Colonial Souls comic. And so, Nolan, we are glad that you are here. And Suzanne Wallace is the brand manager for Roll20 and is also an avid Twitch player. And her name on Twitch is Serial Comma. And so we just want to get started. We're here to talk about creating your own content. We're here to talk about the DMs Guild and give you a little bit more information about that as we have some people that are experts in that area because of the line of work that they're in. But first, we just want to ask you guys a couple of questions about who you are, what you do, and get to know you a little bit more. And so the first question... Tell us a little bit about yourself. So who would like to go first? Nolan, Suzanne, who, who, which one of you would like to go first? Suzanne, you get this. Yeah, sure. I am the brand manager at Roll20. I got into playing tabletop RPGs for about three years, which seems applicable since I now work with uh, Roll20. <laughs> I actually started out playing a Savage Worlds campaign, which was really awesome and kind of a deep dive initially into tabletop RPGs. And ever since then, I've been trying to take it a step back and play simpler and simpler <laughs> tabletop games, which is why I really fell in love with 5th Edition, for example, when it first came out. We were prepping a 3.5 campaign the week that 5th Edition finally came out, and we, at the last minute, decided to switch over all of our characters, which was a little bit painful, but ended up being very, very worth it. And I am a lifelong video gamer. Always used to be a closet video gamer until kind of got to college and realized that that was actually an okay thing that I could be honest and upfront <laughs> about and have forever played video games, which is what I play on Twitch very casually, I should mention, not, uh, <laughs> not in any avid or professional sense. It's really just me fiddling around and yelling usually at whatever video game is, uh, has, has got me going that week. So Nolan, tell us a little bit about yourself. What is there to tell? The bio highlights, I am a Jayhawk through and through in all senses. <laughs> nice. uh, the University of Kansas was alma mater and I still follow all the sports and, and generally what's going on at the university in a way that gets me into trouble. I am <laughs> really obnoxiously into to anime and the related figures. I have a stupid Dragon Ball 
action figure collection that's silly. Oh, be proud of it, man. <laughs> I, I, I am incredibly no. figures. Be proud. Be allowed to be proud. If you could see the little shrine I have in my room, you would you would recognize that I am definitely proud of it. There's no two ways around it. Yes. Um, but. <laughs> when other adults come into your house who just don't understand and give you a look like, are you a child? I get it. <laughs> I understand. Well, you're, you're proud of it because you have it, but it's tucked away so you're not embarrassed when people come over. <laughs> it's sad. There's, there's really no tucking it away there's too much to tuck away but it's one of those i i moved recently and it it, it was funny the extent to which the movers were like dang you got this serious like, like yep yeah, yeah yeah i do that's a thing i also oddly i have a sneaker habit which comes from i'm six foot seven and basketball has has made me into something of a sneaker head so i have all the bad collection oh yeah issues going on nice. in my life nice. but I can respect that. Yeah, it's definitely hasn't hindered me. Like it, it's one of those things like after I think in both those collecting sort of hobbies, I've gotten a lot less worried about it since roll 20 <laughs> worked is the way I would put it. It's one of those like well, nerd stuff got me to a company that employs eight people, so I'm going to do whatever I want. Just got to <laughs> totally embrace it. Right, yeah. right. Right, like the the flag is going to fly yep. now because there's really no reason not to. Right. So, guys, tell us a little bit about, we're familiar with Roll20, but some of our listeners might not be. I know for sure that some of them are and that they use it. But tell us a little bit about what is Roll20 and why is it useful for gamers? Roll20 is a way to take your kitchen tabletop and put it into a virtual environment. So we create a virtual tabletop, or a VTT if you're being super cool. (laughs) It is... Meant to be a tabletop sandbox in the sense that it's completely system agnostic. You can really go in there and play whatever you want to play from D&D to your favorite new indie story game to even some board games sometimes. And the idea is that we want to offer gamers a safe environment and a great accessibility of play. Really anyone around the world with a webcam and an internet connection has the ability to find people to play games with and play whatever game that they want to play. Browser-based is, is something I would point out. I think one of the things that's made us pretty successful is that there's nothing to download. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it a little bit easier and more accessible to folks. In terms of what makes it, uh, the, the second half of your question, uh, useful, to gamers, I think that there's a lot of functionality in just being able to access your game from multiple points, to have it saved at multiple points, well, and just to have the the various tools in terms of there's so many games that I play that character sheets can get out of control, and you've got so much that you're keeping track of to be able to easily roll and add your modifiers to things with the click of a button is the sort of thing that I find useful even at an in-person game. I'll add this in too for you guys. I know I don't work for Roll20, but here, let me add this in for you guys. We'll take it. We've had a lot of listeners write in, and I feel like it's always the same story. Oh, I've moved, and now I don't have people to game with. They have a hard time kind of trying to find that, and they write into us and always ask us, like, what can I do? I want to still game, but I don't know who to game with. And I think Roll20 is a perfect answer for that, whether it's hooking up with people that you already know and are just states away or towns away or countries away, whatever it is, or just jumping on there and finding a group like you can go on 
you can go on the Dungeon Master Block forums <laughs> and find a group. Like you can yeah. do it so easily, and because of Roll Twenty, that kind of opens up a whole new world of gamers to to play with, which I think is awesome. That's one of those things. Like one would hope that since it was made as a long distance solution for myself and co creators Riley Dutt and Richard Zayas, this doesn't exist except for our own you know, selfish needs of <laughs> we we wanted to be able to play with each yeah. other. And so the fact that it was able to, it was funny because we had no idea exactly how many other people had this problem. Did not think at all about people new to the hobby, you know, when we were starting off and like the responsibility of, okay, you're going to have your first tabletop experience via our platform and what that means. But more and more, it's just been cool to see how many people embrace and needed this outlet I think now we're we're about at 1.3 million total accounts. That's awesome. Which is just one of those numbers that, that you look at and go, <laughs> what? Like, how, how did we get here? Yeah, I bet you didn't think that when you first started making it for no. you and your friends. <laughs> we were hoping for, I think, $5,000 total was what our Kickstarter campaign was in April of 2012. It was like, if we could, if we could make $5,000 off this, it'd be a cool little project. <laughs> Hooray. Um, and now it's turned into something much bigger than that. Yeah, like a lot bigger. <laughs> Who knew? And so, you know, you guys started this out and you had some very basic things going into it. And so you've grown quite a bit since then. Is there, is there anything specific that you guys are currently working on right now that you would like to share with our listeners? I think the obvious thing, and I'll, I'll let Suzanne talk some about the fifth edition open gaming license stuff that takes advantage of the system reference document things. But before that announcement happened, we were working pretty hard on improving our application programming interface. So our API, which is accessible to pro users of Roll20, the subscriber level, it allows you to do all sorts of customizable things involving programming. A great example would be like a self-patrolling token or like if your token gets hit to a point that your character is bloodied, it can leave a blood trail or even things like auto-adding and figuring out the results of... Uh, if Have any of you played the Star Wars Fantasy Flight games? Very briefly, I've played yeah, it, very, I think, for briefly. one night. And so if you've played it for one night, you've at least seen the... You can succeed or fail with an advantage or mm -hmm. disadvantage. And so there's, you know, there's two different tabulations of die that you're doing at once. And, you know, people have used the API to, to roll those die and to get a result and spit it out automatically, which can be great for people who are doing it for the first time. So you're not sitting there and being like, what do the little explodey marks mean? <laughs> anyway, there's a whole lot of things you can do with it, but it is a programming interface. And so it's the sort of thing that I myself, not being a programmer, I've got to go and like copy paste the right script and hope I didn't screw anything up to, to make it work. <laughs> and what we're trying to do now is is make a little bit more of a drag and drop interface so you'd be able to just pull in somebody else's script from a repository and uh, go to town with it so that's that was the thing that we were working on before we got a little bit derailed by all the fifth edition excitement out in the air which i will toss over to suzanne to talk about yeah we are working on in great excitement after that announcement, we immediately started thinking about putting together a fifth edition compendium for the Roll20 site. We had had a compendium on there for Pathfinder, so we were able to build off that model and basically find a way to put the SRD 
in a clean, accessible, searchable document that's going to be showing up on the Rule 20 site very soon soon to come. And we're also working on a fifth edition basic character sheet. So there will be a lot of great ways that we can implement material from fifth edition that we couldn't have part of the base site before. Very cool. Is it my turn to ask a question, Chris? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Turns. <laughs> yeah, we're taking we're taking turns here. A little insight on how we work. <laughs> Turn-based podcast. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's perfect. It's perfect. Oh man, right? that was too That's funny. We might have to not <laughs> edit that out. We might have to leave that in. <laughs> so I know Suzanne, you you shared a little bit about this, but I wanted to ask you guys how you got started playing role-playing games. So Nolan, if you could share that story and maybe Suzanne, since you've shared a little bit about that, maybe you could share about your first character a little bit. Yes, please. <laughs> I might start with playing role-playing games and it's so bizarre now that we're this juggernaut of how to play. We just, we only played fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> like <laughs> the, the three of us that started this thing, and honestly, we hadn't played a whole heck of a lot. We just really enjoyed it. After we moved apart from each other, we, we did things like play Halo and stuff like that, but it was harder to have a conversation. And so we we wanted to keep tabletop gaming and then kind of went back and started to roll 20 to play 4th edition, but realized other people had other needs. And so we designed more around like what you would need to mimic at a table as opposed to trying to be a fourth edition rule simulator. And you know, if, if we had gone that route, we would not be what we are currently. But yeah, fourth edition D&D was honestly the, the bulk of my early playing. And Very then nice. uh, in, in the time after Roll20, I've now played all the things is how I feel. <laughs> like, all the things. <laughs> it, it, all the things. It just, it just became necessary at some point. Well, and two, it, it becomes increasingly easy to, to hop in and, you know, okay, I want to try this and, and just go do it. So Well, and it shows you really love your product, too. You're not just somebody making something that you don't enjoy it either. It's hard not to enjoy this to some degree, you know? Like, there's definitely times that being in the interface can be work, I still, to a greater degree, like I prefer playing in person, mm -hmm. but it's one of those, uh, even when I play in person, I'll use like the, the iPad application and that sort of thing, like I was saying earlier, to, to roll a character just because there are those benefits that you just can't get rid of. But yeah, sometimes, sometimes being in the interface, it's like, oh, we should move this button over here <laughs> because it would be more aesthetically pleasing and it's hard to turn that off. <laughs> And for my characters, my first ever character was in the Savage Worlds game, which we actually set in a 1920s Tunisia setting, <laughs> I think. And it was very, very fun. I was Sophie Cavanaugh, if I remember her name correctly, who it's been a long time. So I know that she was kind of a rogue build, but I can't remember what her proficiency was or any of that. But I know that she was a race car driver. Nice. Not a very good one, as it turned <laughs> out. But... <laughs> But she had her own car. But I will share also my favorite character of all time that I've ever made that I'm just waiting for a campaign to bring her back, which was actually in the 5th edition game I mentioned. I built a halfling barbarian named Martha quotes the murder quote Brandywine. Nice. And <laughs> awesome. She was, the, she was the local baker. 
Oh, with a name like that, why wouldn't she be the baker? Yeah, she was just a baker, but she also wielded uh, dual hand axes, and she was pretty baller. Oh, she was not just a baker. No, no. She was a baker by day, and then she would get her, you know, her bloodlust would be cooking up, and so she'd have to go on an adventure and kill some, you know, elves or dark elves or whatever, and then she'd come back and work out the new scone recipe that she had usually gotten, so I would usually do all of my charisma checks by, like, trading scones own recipes uh, oh it was gosh. that was my favorite game of all time <laughs> that's it's fantastic. like dr jekyll and mr hyde of halfling female barbarian bakers <laughs> yeah she was this sweet little freckled thing and then she'd just get like all red in the face and start killing nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic what a good character that's awesome how you guys got started and i loved hearing about those two first characters we have one more surprise question for you guys and so our surprise question is if real life were like D, what two skills would you choose to be proficient in in real life and why i have played this party game there you go perfect <laughs> i have gone around the room and figured out everybody's race in class <laughs> oh so nice. you have not only a skill chosen but you have a race in a class as well i'm pretty sure i turned out halfling uh rogue. barbarian i'm pretty sure middle name murder <laughs> <laughs> but two skills definitely charisma I would max out. I love solving problems in the game in creative ways and not killing. So I actually use this in in video games, especially. I always try to get the charisma check and just be like, "Hey, come on, man! You don't you don't want diplomat? Yeah, turning somebody who absolutely (laughs) hates you into being like, well, I see your point. (laughs) (laughs) So definitely charisma and. Probably wisdom, because I never know how to actually use it in games, and wouldn't it be great if you could look at something and be like, well, actually, I know everything about this, and I can tell you exactly what to do. (laughs) Just spew out random, very wise sayings that everybody else is like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds really cool. Yeah, hopefully that don't actually help the situation. You're just that person, that over-professorial person who just shares a lot of useless information all the time. (laughs) Thank you, Yoda. Yeah, it's got to come back like years later, like, oh, that's what she meant. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> so what about you, Nolan? In terms of, I guess, points into the to the six main stats, my, my points are probably in dexterity and strength. I'm the fighter rogue <laughs> is my way nice. in life. But I, I think in terms of like what sort of attributes that ends up taking on, you want stealth so you can get the drop on people and you want flanking because it's more fun to beat up folks when there's two of you. Um, That's true. <laughs> so, uh, speaking I, from personal experience, I, uh, as a rogue, I oh, mean, oh, oh, okay. As, as a rogue, like if if we are in the game and the game is life, and you know, I, I we have to survive and go on adventures mm-hmm. and raid dungeons, then <laughs> I don't want to go alone. So I'm going to take flanking bonuses and hope that I have somebody that you know we can get the drop on whatever monster and you know beat it and take us lunch money. But there you go. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. Thank you guys for answering our questions. Let us head into the actual meat of the episode. Let's start talking about creating your own content. So first we want to just say, as the Dungeon Master's Block, one of the primary things that this podcast was set up for, Chris, is we wanted to encourage people who listened to, if they weren't already, to create their own content. A big part of that has been world building. We focus a lot of our episodes on world building and how to create different adventures, but it goes beyond world building. It goes into, like I said, adventures, monsters, spells, items. But we want to, just in this episode, we want to encourage you 
to, if you are not already, create your own content for D&D or whatever game you're playing in, but specifically in D&D because we're going to bring it back around at the end and we want to talk about the DMs Guild and what that means for people who create their own content. But we want to give you guys some a little bit of advice if you are thinking about creating your own content or if you're just starting, if you're not already an expert and you're <laughs> if you don't already have blogs or websites out there, we have tons of content already. If you want to get started, we want to give you a little bit of advice on how to get started creating your own content. And so I think one of the biggest things that as DMs ourselves and as, you know, people who work at Roll20 and have multiple, multiple years of experience, that the easiest way for us to get started is to start with what you know. And so that can be using something you have already created. And I know for me, one of one of my future hopes and dreams for one of my campaigns is from a story I wrote in fourth grade called Dr. Jinko. And that is the hope of <laughs> one of my about future Dr. campaigns. Before. Yep. Talked about Dr. <laughs> Jinko before. Yep. It's kind of loosely based off of the Star Wars story of somebody finds out that the evil doctor is, you know, his father and stuff like that. <laughs> but, you know, so start with something you know. Start with something you wrote as a kid or start with, you know, if you tinker around with, you know, drawing and you have a character, start with that character. Talk about what they would do. What types of adventures would they go on? See where that tends to lead uh, a little bit. And that'll open up the doors for multiple, multiple different adventures. And so I think the first thing would be, Use something that you've already created because you can look at it once, put it away, pull it back out again, and you'll see something totally and completely different that you could use and, and make into something really amazing. That's the second part too. Rework it, change it, the things, change the things that, that didn't work the first couple times through. And so I think something that is amazing about Roll20, and maybe you guys can speak into this a little bit, is there might be people that have run the same campaigns multiple times. And they may have been able to rework it or change things over time. Have you guys had any experience with that or any conversations about that? Have you ever done that sort of thing before, reworking it? And oh, yeah. I think one of the things, that, it, particularly when you talk to people who are doing stuff like organized play things, they love the, the idea that you can make a copy of your campaign at any point and then rerun from that. So it, it gives you a whole lot of ability to have everything you know set up to jump into an adventure and then rerun it with a different group and find out different things about it. I mean, that's that's one of those advantages that having the the digital setup makes it really simple to do that kind of play testing, which is incredibly important when you're trying to build your own worlds, when you're trying to to make content that you the thing is any two groups are hopefully going to run your adventure a little bit differently. Right. So the ability to to have nothing wasted in running it with a group and just go and, and hop back to the beginning is the sort of thing that, you know, even physically playing it out, you're not going to be able to mimic that, oh, it's immediately set up and everybody's ready and I just <laughs> attach you to your characters and go. Right. There's definitely a lot of that going on. Yeah. And if you want to start making your own content and you're like, I don't know where to start, though, just think back on those campaigns, those adventures that you've already run and you know well and you just have these fond memories of like, oh, that that worked out so well. And then just start, like Chris was saying, reworking it, writing it out, changing the things that didn't work and making it into an adventure that other people can play and like nolan was saying like the great part of like playing through adventures again is seeing how different groups play 
through them. I know I ran two adventures and they were the same adventure with two different groups. And there was this one part that both of the groups loved to kind of like talk about what happened. They, they came to this town just named Goblin Town. And of course, it was filled with goblins. And one of the group decided to completely burn Goblin Town to the ground. And the oh. other group decided to... Well, they still killed all the adult goblins, but they they decided they didn't want to kill the the children goblins, so they adopted about fifty goblin orphans because of themselves. <laughs> and we had this like this scene of them going down the mountain, just all these little goblins following them because they had nowhere else to go. And both of those groups like to talk about, oh, how did how did this go for you, and how did this go for you, and they have very different stories. But both stories came out amazing from the same kind of adventure. That's wonderful. I want to see the aftermath 50 years later of that adventure. Especially with how fast they multiply. Yeah, that yeah. ran into a lot yeah. of the uh, discussion, which I love having about a game that is just pretend of. Can goblins be trained to grow up like and not be chaotic evil? Like, is it nature or nurture <laughs> kind of thing? And, oh, it was so oh, much fun. Man. <laughs> oh, man. They lost about more than half of the goblins going down the mountain, just to <laughs> throw that in there, too. They kind of all wandered off. Oh, so Four goblin children. <laughs> that got dark real fast. <laughs> yeah. So another thing to kind of give advice is when you're creating your own content, you should start small. You don't want to, like, take on this huge, huge project. Start with an encounter. <laughs> like a, a plot hook and an encounter. Like Yeah, start with an encounter. Start with a monster. Start with an item. Like, don't bite off more than you can chew because you might get burnt out before you even finish it. I'll say this as a, as a comic book writer. It's incredibly important to me, and particularly in this day and age of decompressed storytelling that just kind of it seems to go nowhere. I want every page that I write to have a point. Every single page of a comic book that I'd write should be able to tell a vignette of a story. And that, that's one of the reasons I really, really like that medium is that you can break it. I mean, you, you can even, it's important that every panel convey something to you. But having an overall theme to a page that gets you through something and then, you know, small arcs within, within a single comic itself. I'm not talking like five issue arc. But like these three pages are setting up this and these five pages are setting up that. The smaller you start, the better and more focused anything you're going to make is. I can't think of a comic. I'm sure I have read comics that I've put down because that hasn't been going on. There's been a lot of like dead space. But I can absolutely think of books that I've been reading that it's just like the author has so much. And and some people might argue with me on specific books that I could like go, oh, yeah, it happened in that book that it was just dead space of nothing was going on. And it just seemed like filler. And that is a very good point to make. Grab onto the things that are important and focus on those things. I think overall, the the encounter, it's the right amount to start with. But even when, you, when you're making an encounter like that, most encounters will have, if you're picking up like a pre-made adventure, uh, in the third round, this happens. So it gives you it gives you a chance to really break down into the minutia and get a tempo because honestly most of the adventures like if you start talking about what the favorite adventures you've ever run are you talk about how it felt in terms of speed is really the you know it, oh my gosh all these things were rushing at us and or on the flip side 
it was so creepy and everything seemed so mysterious. And I didn't know what was going to happen next. Like, and it, that's a very much a tempo element to it. And that's the way that you, you start to break down tempo is your encounters. Well, and I love the idea too of, of starting with an encounter because most often you're going to say, all right, on this side, for example, you use three gnolls or something like that. Then you can go into what do the gnolls look like? Well, one looks like the boss, the leader guy. Okay, how did he become the leader? Why are they fighting? I mean, you can you can just go and go and go off of that idea because you, you started small. Now, if you start with a world, you, you can do it. But <laughs> if you start with a whole world, it's like, okay, I have a billion things that I have to try and focus in on. And it's it's really easy, I think, to expand out from the small. And so, yeah, I love the idea of using an encounter as the way to start that sort of planning process for any sort of content creation you do. I think that harkens back to like the very first episode we did, Chris, with world building and saying, go the small to big route. Yeah. Pick a town, start in that town, and then expand outward. And then you can like start building a world that way. If you start the big way, you just have like so much on your plate from the get go. And like, I think that's a good point too, is like starting with one project at a time. Like if you're going to want to work on an encounter, don't set up, okay, well here are the 10 encounters I'm going to start with. No, just, just make one encounter. If you're going to make a bunch of items, if that's what you want to do, start off with the one item and finish it. And have it completed before you start moving on to more and more and more stuff. We're talking about starting off small. I think another thing to start with, start with what you're good at. So if you're good at making an encounter like we just talked about, start with that simple encounter. Or if you're good at making up traps that are absolutely devious and your characters will hate you forever because what you came up with will kill them if they don't do it right. (laughs) Start with the trap. Or if you're good at riddles... And your characters will hate you forever because nobody is good at (laughs) riddles, especially if you came up with them off the top of your head. Start with the riddles. So many players hate riddles. (laughs) Right. And if if you're good at that or you're good at multiple things, make a dungeon crawl that's filled with encounters or filled with traps and riddles. Or make a dungeon that's only encounters or make a dungeon that's only traps or make a dungeon that... (laughs) heaven forbid, is only riddles. Make a dungeon crawl that is only riddles and see how your players oh, no. go I through I would it. like to run that as a DM. I would never want to play in that dungeon oh, with the riddle it would be. It would. I can think of one of our players oh, that would love it. I think Paladin Caleb would love a dungeon full of riddles. I would love to watch <laughs> yeah, right. it. I actually did it once. Did you really? You did uh, it once. I, Tell I, us oh, about yeah. that, please. Essentially, the players ran up against a, a genie Mm-hmm. And so it just made sense to have this like dungeon really messing with, with all of the players, and so it was yeah. like one yeah. bizarre riddly puzzle after another, and it got grueling definitely as the session went on. You know, if they would get stuck at one, so I don't know if it's the sort of thing I'd do again. But people still talk <laughs> about that session, so it that sounds great. There's good and bad to yeah. it. And then after you leave the room or the virtual tabletop, they talk about how they can do away with you and never have you again as their DM. Right. They yeah. hate that moment Facts. so much. <laughs> I would love to just play a campaign where you're just trying to get over a bridge and the troll keeps popping out from right. the bridge oh my God. and says, no, you've still got one yeah. more question. Or, or you could color? do it where you have to cross that bridge and there's a huge chasm and that's the only way you can get across. That's the first thing you run into. There's a riddle you can't solve, but as you're going through the campaign, you're finding out clues 
more and more to that <laughs> riddle so that you get to the other side of that bridge and then there's the ending to the campaign on that side. Yeah. That would be great too. I don't know. <laughs> Going off of off of more of things that you could start at if you're if you're good at something like storytelling, make an adventure that's heavy with choices on role playing. And I know for many of us this is I think more than battle, which we can all get really really lost in battle, but when there's a good story going on, there are times where you get so into your character and you get so into what's going on around you that you just kind of lose sense of all reality. And so if you're really good at storytelling, go for it. Make an adventure that's heavy with choices in role-playing. There's nothing so great as a real nail-biting decision that you and your party have to make so much that like the game breaks yeah. down. Mm-hmm. Or if you're worried about losing a fellow adventurer because you've come to know and love that character, even if it's not your character. I mean, that's one of the best things that can happen. <laughs> when yeah, the I- argument breaks beyond the in-game discussion and starts breaking out into like between the players like the moral decisions and stuff right oh those are the best times <laughs> those are so good like yeah. we can't kill goblin children because children's <laughs> exactly. life lives are wonderful we must adopt them all <laughs> i love the it, the saying like you're putting your players between the horns of the bull and so they either have to go one way and get hit by a horn or they have to go the other way and still get hit by a horn there's no <laughs> real easy decision that is that can be made in these situations and we talked about that in one of our previous episodes on dilemmas like giving your players those heavy choices that they have to decide with no real good clear answer is phenomenal for this type of of storytelling it's it is it is great yeah that's my favorite with this whole start with what you're good at i think that a lot of people probably don't create their own content because it seems ominous and scary to them and like the idea of creating an adventure i think to a lot of people is like i don't know if i can write an adventure but if i were to sit down for the first time and start an adventure uh, start making an adventure i think that the dungeon crawl is the way that i'd want to go because i mean you look at some of the most famous D adventure modules like tomb of horrors they are a giant dungeon like there's a story written within them and the story has expanded over the years but for the most part those are famous modules because somebody made a dungeon and albeit a really mean dungeon (laughs) but a dungeon (laughs) that was well done and whatever way you think that's less scary like maybe you think creating a dungeon crawl would be way too hard for you but you think i can tell a story man i can give players good role-playing options and choices and moral dilemmas to put in their way then maybe write that story out and then once that story's done like you can start working on the the skill checks and all that kind of stuff afterwards. I think a part of that is to do whatever gets you excited. Yes. Create whatever something that you would want to play yourself. So if you're really what you're passionate about, exactly, because that's that's it's going to show through in your work. And for any creator, I know that the games that I've played that I've enjoyed the most are made by people who play their own game all the time. I mean, it just, it'll show through in everything that you make. I think the last piece of advice we'd give is if you're creating your own content, make sure to, before you put it out there in the world to sell it or whatever your final destination of what you want to do with this content is, is to play test it and to go through second opinions of 
whatever it is you're making. So play through your creation with your friends or even if you're able to with strangers, you know, go on a forum, find a couple people and jump on roll 20. Strangers are the best. Yes, because they're going to give you flat out honest, right? <laughs> I think even going beyond that, like it's it's great if you can get strangers to run your mm-hmm. campaign and like you just observe, like you will find out so much about what you've created from seeing somebody else run it and trying to to figure out the ways that they interpret your material. That's the sort of thing like it's worth its weight in gold. Not only having just a stranger do it, but I, I think most of the stuff that if you're going to put it out there, unless it's like an archetype for a character or something, you're probably going to be putting it out there for a DM or a GM to use. And so it would make sense for right. somebody else to give it a go because I like looking at my notes and Mitch and I have joked about this multiple times. If we gave each other our notes for our games, <laughs> we wouldn't be able to make heads or tails yeah. of, of what we're trying <laughs> to come across. They make sense to us, but they wouldn't make sense to somebody else. And so I love the idea. If you're going to put something out there for a DM, have a stranger run it because they're going and ask them for feedback because they're going to give you feedback about like, okay, I didn't understand what was going on here. So I had to, make something up and I'm not sure if that's what you were going for. And they can give you really helpful pointers on how to rewrite things or make them more friendly for more and more people than, than just yourself. So I love that idea of having a stranger run your game or run the adventure or, you know, whatever they're going to be running for you. I love that. And don't be discouraged if you get your adventure back or your dungeon back and you get a lot of, negative feedback or a lot of things that you need to fix take it it's a learning process and if you're able to get past it and start working on it and reworking it and fixing the things that didn't work you're gonna get better at it and you're gonna get better at it until the point where you're an expert and you're working at wizards of the coast right <laughs> not only that but uh, people appreciate seeing their feedback being taken for a real thing uh, people appreciate having right. their notes really observed and having them reworked back into the story. And the great thing about playtesting online with friends and strangers is that you start to create a community and an audience for the game that you're working on. Absolutely. That will, a little bit of a e- following, yeah. Yeah. Even if it's very rough to begin with, they'll support you throughout the creation process. And then if you are successful and manage to complete the work, they will be very, very supportive at that point. And uh, I'll throw this this last thing in, too, is we've had a lot of people on this show that have created their own content. We've had game designers on. We've had authors on. And within every single episode that we've had those people on, they are always giving out information saying, here, if you have questions for me, get in contact with me here. Use those people. Like, I think you will be yeah. surprised at how many of these people maybe you think are just big wigs and won't give you the time of day. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how many of these people will want to talk to you, will give you good advice, and use that if you want to create content. There are people who have been doing it for years. And know, too, that those people, when they give you advice, even if it's not what you want to hear, it's helpful. The sort of thing like they got to where they are because they heard advice that they didn't <laughs> want to hear and, and learned from right. it. It's the whole failing forward concept. Mm-hmm. I know it's Be probably gracious, old hat, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's the whole failing forward concept. Yeah. And so part of the reason why we're talking about, you know, content creation and creating your own stuff is because, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, 
there was a huge announcement that will forever change what content is coming out for Dungeons and Dragons. They announced the DMs Guild, the OGL they gave more information on, and the SRD. And and so we have a couple of people that can weigh in on the DMs Guild a little bit. And so what is it exactly? So the DMs Guild is actually a, a set of tools that Wizards has given allow you to make they have a branded marketplace of their own and within that marketplace you'll be able to use the forgotten realms setting you'll also be able to essentially be featured on a storefront that is specific to the dungeons and dragons brand i mean it's the sort of thing that i think that that's going to be really nice for people particularly folks who maybe don't know or don't feel comfortable in commissioning art but and also you know for for folks that aren't to a level where they're they're kind of branching out doing their own thing to have that sort of familiar setting the limitations there being uh, that you're that you're only able to sell through their specific branded marketplace uh, when you when you take on those additional elements and so some of the interesting parts of this is you're able to it's not like you have to submit it and then they set a price for you you can set a price on right. what you think your work is worth and so that's got to be an interesting concept uh, you know for people who have never put anything out there you have to kind of set a price for what you think your material <laughs> is worth do you know exactly how much percentage you get back off of what you make is for that i believe that their setup is going to be 50 50 yep. over there that's what i it was last time i checked that doesn't appeal a whole lot to me but i'm the sort of crazy weirdo who's you know built my <laughs> own platform if you were to put a fifth edition compliant adventure out with us you wouldn't be able to use the forgotten realm setting and you wouldn't be able to use the the branding elements that you'd be allowed to with a dm's guild but you'd get 70 percent profits off of what you were selling and you'd be able to use all the systems reference document elements so there's definitely a lot of advantage to well and and also you'd be able to sell it you know in places other than just us it's going to be interesting to see what small publishers or even just you know one person hobby publishers decide to do in the coming months in terms of their approach to where and how they choose to put out content using this new rule set yeah i know that i've heard mixed opinions on this like there have been people who think it's the greatest thing in the world and then there are people who aren't a hundred percent happy with this and don't like it (laughs) some people don't like it at all but i think that for someone who hasn't created content, like actually isn't in the gaming design business, for someone who just wants to like maybe create an adventure or create a monster or an item or something and just throw it out there and see what happens with it. I think this is a great opportunity for them to do so. And I know Wizards of the Coast has said that one of the reasons that they're doing this is they want to see what is popular and what authors of content, what game designers like get a lot of notice and what people like so that they can down the line, look for new writers and new game designers from DMs guild. And honestly, I think that's really, really cool. I think that's a very, very awesome thing. It's it's obviously going to be the minority of people who are on there. I think that's one of those things though. And I've, I'm sorry that my metaphors come back to comics so often, <laughs> but, but I have I, no problem. Having, having also, well, having also existed in that space, uh, I, I think it's one of those like, is your goal to write Spider-Man or is your goal to make your own, like to make The Walking yeah. Dead? 
And uh, I think that's the sort of thing that, that this is a really great bright line to figure out what sort of creator you are. Because there's nothing wrong with wanting to write Spider-Man and there's nothing wrong with wanting to make The Walking Dead. It's a matter of, you know, it, do you, is the best path for you working in an environment like Wizards or is the best path for you going off and starting your own game and, and doing something like that? And I, I think that we see people, you know, within their careers in role-playing do both. You have folks like Monty Cook who, you know, did so much in terms of right. the, the third edition rules and now has his own, you know, the, the Cypher system games and, and that sort of thing. So there's a, there's options out there for every stripe of creator, which is nice. I think the only thing that we haven't really talked about today in terms of, of this announcement and the possibilities going forward is kind of checking yourself in terms of what is and isn't allowed to be mm-hmm. interfaced with with the new systems reference document. It does a really great job in the first two pages of telling you about some of the things that you definitely cannot use. And then beyond that, the, yeah. the remaining 396 pages gives you the exact spells and the like that they're putting out there for you to use, and then you can create beyond those. But take some time and get familiar with what you're allowed to do, and that that's going to make your life a whole heck of a lot easier in terms of taking this on and you know interfacing with, with this opportunity. And it's one of those things, I've brought this up a lot as I've talked about this you know, internally and externally since the announcement, is uh, you got to remember that all of Pathfinder sprung up from the 3.5 open gaming license and and that system reference document which is crazy to think about like there was there was a before fifth edition launch uh pathfinder Pathfinder was the most played (laughs) yeah right like it's crazy um and so we we don't know the extent of the possibilities that can happen with this it's just one of those things that it you know i i'm absolutely certain that the folks at paizo uh, were very, very familiar with what they could and could not say, and that's mm-hmm. why they were able to create so much content. And so if you want to be able to move confidently and do big things with this, you're going to have to know your stuff inside and out. And like we said, once again, ask people <laughs> who might know more than yes. you. Like find, those, find the game designers that have been on the show, whatever it is, ask people and get a second opinion. What I think I love the most about the DMs Guild as a DM myself not publishing anything on there is I love the f- idea of like 3.5 had all of those splash books. I love the idea of having millions and millions of <laughs> splash books out there that we can choose from. At the same time, I hate the idea that there's going to be millions and millions of splash books <laughs> that we can choose from. The reason that I like it this way a little bit more, I think, is back in the day when they published all of their stuff and there were books and books and books coming out, you would have people that would come to the table and say, well, this is in this book and this is what it says. And it's, you know, it's, it's Wizards canon at this point in time. I can play it. And you look over and it's like, this is the most broken and stupid thing I've ever seen in my life. But you know, do I let it go or do I not let it go? And this way, it's kind of like, well, this isn't something that I have and I'm not going to look over it. So we can just not go with it. Or if it is awesome, you can take it and work with it and change it a little bit for your own homebrew campaigns. And it gives you tons and tons of places to get all sorts of information and ideas for your campaign. And so I think it's, I think it's going to be a great thing for everybody that's going to be involved with it. When folks ask me, you know, what sort of content do you hope to see? My first answer is always, if you've used the fourth edition Dungeon Delve, which is like a, a set of one through 30 level encounters, right. 
that you could just kind of pop in to whatever you were doing. It, it a resource like that for the game master who's running behind and needs to pull something out within the week to to interface with what they've you know you've got a party you're going places but you're between big arcs in the story having something like that where you can change okay well i'll make the end villain the boss that they dealt with previously the tie it in or whatever but all the stats are there and it's a cool encounter and you know the ambiance for it is right those are the sort of products that I think are, are going to be really exciting is when you're just able to go and look over the offerings that are um, the fifth edition licensed and go, okay, I need a level 13 encounter. Oh man, here's this awesome thing that takes place inside a, you know, ruins of this temple. I can right. use that. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's, that's the sort of thing that's, it's just so nice to have. Like it, it helps in so many ways to, to keep your campaigns moving. That's going to be really exciting once we have more and more of those sorts of options appearing. Well, and there's already so much stuff up on there that's even for those of you listeners out there who are completely broke and don't have a lot of money to spend. Like there's so much stuff that's just pay what you want and you can go on and you can pay what you want and get something for a, a little bit of money and have your own, a new class or a new adventure. And I know they already have a bunch of character sheets that you can go on there and download for pretty much every class and every race that there is in 5e. And that's just a nice thing to have somewhere you can go and get that stuff from. You've been given a chance to to monetize your hobby, and that's a cool thing. Even even if it just ends up being pocket money, that's cool. Yeah. And it's the sort of thing that that allows you to to at least experiment and see you know what the what the value is in your work. Do make certain as you're doing it though. Uh, remember that your work has value, and don't undervalue what you're doing. Uh, set prices that make sense for you. Absolutely. I think I'm just excited to see the talent that's out there and see things that I can learn from and things that I can potentially use in my own world i think that's going to be really really cool yeah i'm excited to see some of the content that comes out both the the new completely new creations that appear on dm's guild and i'm also excited to see for the creators that we've had on roll 20 over time that we know and love i'm excited to see what new things they start creating now that this door has widened a little bit with the srd Yeah, I echo all of your thoughts. I think that, like Nolan was saying, you want to be careful and make sure you know what you're doing when you publish stuff on here. I think that it is just so cool to see what's going to come out and who's going to be coming out with stuff. And it'll be really, really cool to see down the line if, if people legitly get hired at Wizards of the Coast because they started on DMs Guild. That would be really, really cool. In wrapping this up, Suzanne and Nolan, is there a place that if our our listeners have questions for you about Roll20 or about DMs Guild or about creating your own content, where is it that they can get in touch with you at and maybe ask you some questions? I'm available at Suzanne at Roll20.net. Nice and easy to remember. And I'm always on Twitter at I am a snarky pants. Nice, nice. And then I can be found on Twitter uh, at Nolan TJ is is a great place to find me. And then just the general Roll Twenty account uh, at Roll Twenty App is a good place to to go. Well, and and just keep an eye out on as as we start seeing some fifth edition content released via us. I'm certain that we'll be announcing it there. So that's something to look forward to. 
Awesome. Well, thank you guys both so much for coming on the Dungeon Masters block and sharing your wisdom with us and just talking about creating your own content, Roll20, and the DMs Guild. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. They have been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? So welcome back to another segment of the Mailbag of Holding, the place where we share questions, stories, and ideas from you, the listener. This Mailbag of Holding comes from DM Bender, and he writes in and asks us, my question for you guys is how do you guys personally handle food, and sleep requirements. Some DMs ignore these role-playing aspects for simplicity and at the character's insistence. Others love to throw them in. I don't want my characters to groan at the aspect of food and sleep, so I thought I'd offer them some temporary buffs and debuffs to the eating and drinking experience. What do you think about these possibilities? So, Chris, what about food, drink, sleeping, almost what you describe as mundane stuff? How do you handle that? How have you seen that handled? Yeah, I think it can either make someone's experience really, really great, or it could make it absolutely horrible. And so my kind of general rule of thumb when I'm doing this is like if somebody's visiting an inn for the night, well, if they're in a city, it's probably... More times than not, they're going to eat food. I usually don't make them say, I'm going to find food or I'm going to find somewhere to sleep. Normally, if they're staying at an inn, I figure in that the part of the price is going to be their food that they're having taken care of. And so I don't really worry about that. Don't really worry about sleep when they're in the city. If they're out in the wilderness for multiple days, like weeks at a time, and it's not like, hey, two days, I plan for two days worth of food or something. Then I think for me, that would be a point in time where I would make them incorporate the exhaustion rules from not having food or not having a comfortable place to sleep for a long period of time. But if it's going to be something for like a couple of days, I'm not really so much worried about that because I don't think it's going to necessarily add anything useful to the role-playing experience. But if it's going to be like a survivalist campaign or it's going to be something where they're going weeks on end, like we just experienced it with your campaign without having water, we didn't use any exhaustion rules or any, you know, negative effects because of that other than morale dropping. But I think when it comes to long periods of time, I would definitely begin to add those types of things in as well. Once again, if it's going to be something that people are going to get really upset about, it might be something that you really want to do, but we got to think about our players too at the same yeah. time. So I think knowing the players is a good thing to bring up. We bring that up all the time on this show, but knowing your players, because some players want the game more crunchy, more complicated. A lot of people who love 3.5 would say, yeah, that's cool. Like, let's go with fatigue stuff. A lot of people have, who have embraced 5e because of the simplicity, you're not going to want all these crazy punishments or rewards for drinking and sleeping and eating and all that kind of stuff. But I think that there is a point to where the mundane can become really interesting if it's dealt in the right way and not overplayed too much like you said we did on the voyage on unending sea we came to the problem of water we need water clean drinking water this is becoming a problem food is becoming a problem these are things that are crucial to the storyline even though food and drink are a pretty mundane thing when it comes to every day like we you eat in your sleep okay there's nothing adventurous about that but with this it's a problem because of lack of that if you also remember 
in the Adventures of Shemesh campaign, we had a point where you guys were traveling across the Pelennor fields and you needed to go and hunt some food. And so you did that and you ran in some cockatrices and that became an issue because they started turning. I think they turned one of you guys to stone. Yep. And because of that, you guys met up with fawns who helped you and unpetrified. I don't remember who got turned to stone, but one of you guys, whoever it was, and it kind of led to story, like a mundane part of the story. And I think that's kind of the thing for me is, is it adding to the story or is it just adding dead space in a campaign and making it really boring? You can use the mundane of food and sleep and needing those things. And I think that's the kind of thing for me is put it in places where it makes sense that the characters would be struggling with that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Put it in places where you can have it be a, a role-playing assistant, like, oh, you're sitting down at the tavern, and this is something that the story has led you to. So as DM, and I've heard you say this, Chris, before, I've said it before, I go, oh, what do you order? And so we let the, the players... Give like, a couple pick, options yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, give a couple options. Yeah. Or you, as the DM, play through what the tavern keep is saying, oh, we have this kind of thing, which is kind of cool because we've introduced food into our world that way. It's funny because we've done our snack time challenge, which is hearkening way back to one of the first episodes to our light bulb. And because of that, we've said, oh, for the snack time, bring a food that is a food that they eat in this country that we're in. And because of that, we've gone, okay, you brought this and you named it this. Well, it's canon. That's what they eat in the world now. And it's it's been a lot of fun. But you can have fun with food and sleep rules and drink rules and all that kind of stuff. It's just the way you do it. And just let it add to the story rather than make your players bogged down by rules and punishments for, oh, I didn't say I'd... Don't be that guy who goes, I didn't hear you say you ate last night, so you're going to have to have this punishment put on you. Don't. I didn't guy. hear any of you say you were using the bathroom for the, fa- for the last <laughs> half a year, so, you know. Add on the template, constipated. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, half your movement speed. <laughs> anyway, DM Bender sent us a bunch of cool little buffs and stuff, and I, I think if your players have fun with that, do it. There's absolutely no reason not to do it. Yeah. Those are our thoughts on food, drink, and sleep. So thank you, DM Bender, for sending us in that mailbag of holding. Light bulb. Wow. That's an intro we haven't heard in a while. It's a light bulb moment here that we have on the DMB podcast. Chris, it's been a long time since we've had a light bulb. I was even wondering why you were like, wow, that's such a long time. So I was like, oh, we've heard this before. Like, what are you talking about? Right? It's just been a long time. And so we have a light bulb for you guys. We did a survey recently, and many of you said, bring back the light bulb. So look at that. We're bringing you back a light bulb. We're flicking so, the switch back on. There you go. Oh, there you, we've been in the dark for so long. <laughs> Anyway, our light bulb for this week is an idea that I cannot claim credit for. I'm not sure where I saw this idea, but it wasn't my idea. I saw, and Chris, I know you saw I saw it on Reddit at one point in time. Yeah, and so you were like, oh, I saw uh, that going on the internet. Well, there are these area effect spell translucent 
circles basically or whatever the area effect is and you put them down they're completely translucent and they show you where the area of effect is on a gridded map so i know chris we've played battle plenty of times and it's really annoying we'll like grab a bunch of pencils and we'll have to like measure it out yeah. and it's like oh like especially for the big spell effects it's like oh okay is it touching that guy or you put a piece of paper down and if yeah. you use a grid you can't see underneath it anymore yeah. and so you're yeah <laughs> Yeah. Is it touching this guy? Is it touching that guy? And a lot of times we just eyeball it and kind of come to a consensus. But basically what I did was while I was in the office, because nobody uses these anymore, those translucent pieces of paper that were used on like the projectors back when Chris, you and me were going to high school. Like, I don't even know if they used them in high school. Maybe it was middle school. <laughs> like those things are pretty old at this point. But basically what I did was I took those and I made a circle with permanent marker on them. I added a little effect with the permanent marker. On the forums, we have episode discussions, and I'll throw them up on the specific episode discussion for this episode. So if you want to see those pictures that I took, check them out on the forums, which forums, Chris, are dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net. And then while you're there, head on over to DMnastics and throw some ideas into the pot for that as well and get mentioned in a future DMnastics. But it's cool. You put those translucent spell area effect things down and you can see basically there's no arguing of, oh, this touches this guy or does this touch this guy? Because if it's touching their square, then you say, yep, that is affecting it. So it's just about getting translucent paper and cutting out the circles that are the radiuses of the spell effect. And then you can just drop them whenever you're using a wizard and it just illustrates it for you. And the also one of the nice things is how often, Chris, have we done things where we're doing a crazy battle and wizards cast a spell and we forget that the spell's going on yeah. because we have so much on our plate and there's yep. no forgetting with this translucent spell area of effect circle or whatever it is down on the map. Well, and even if you're using multiple different spellcasters that are casting like one cast an ice yeah. spell or one cast a fire spell you might even be able to color coordinate them yep. in order to help you even figure it out more by coloring around the edge or drawing you know whatever yeah and they just drop over them each other yeah yep. and it like say you're trying to figure out for a fireball area effect you might not keep it down the whole time but you might draw out the area of effect set it down real quick and say this is the point of explosion that i want it to happen on and then you have everybody encompassed in that so it's it's a really really cool tool that's been floating around reddit and a couple of other places as well and i, I love love that idea and you can make it yourself for super cheap and it's just a way to help you as the dungeon master make things easier so light bulb has returned and there you go there it is so that's all we have for you this week on the Dungeon Master's Block. We hope that you have enjoyed our conversation with Suzanne and with Nolan as well. We thank them for being on the podcast and representing Roll20 today. And we thank them for giving some insight into creating your own content and what it means now that the Dungeon Master Guild is out and the OGL is out for people to use. And we hope that this was just a very informative episode on, on all of those things. And encouraging. And encouraging as well. Yeah. We hope that you, because of this, because of our podcast, we hope that there are a lot of people out there who are listening and have already started to create their own content. And if you haven't, we hope that you do. And whether you use DMs Guild, which I think is a great resource for you to use, or if you're posting it on your own site and you're making homebrew stuff, whatever it is, 
we hope that you're creating. Yeah, we hope that you are creating and, and enjoying what you're creating. Yes, exactly. So if you want to give us any sort of information on things that you've done or share with us any homebrew stuff that you've created and stories that have come out of the stuff that you've created, hit us up at a few different places. You can hit us up at our email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Send us any stories you have, any content creation stuff. We'll look over it and and get back to you as soon as we can. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes and get a shout-out just as those awesome listeners did at the very beginning of the episode. You can also hit us up on Stitcher, leave us a review there, and Podcast Attic and various other Android podcasting apps as well. You can follow our Twitter account at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. If you want updates about the show, those are the places that you're going to want to be following to get those updates. So we have another Patreon this week. Our Patreon list just keeps growing and growing, and we thank you for that. But we need to give a special shout-out for one of our amazing patrons. And so this week, the Patreon we are recognizing is... Kyle Lynn. Thank you so much, Kyle, for your... What kind of a dragon is he, Chris? He he is a dreaded gold dragon. So fear Kyle while he is out there flying around the skies and donating to our cause as well. So thank you very much, Kyle. Thank you so much. Man, we have a growing list of dragon supporters, and I just feel sorry for anybody who picks a fight with DM's block because all these dragons we got we got dragons us. on our side oh man, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> i wouldn't want to pick a fight with us yeah so that's all we have this week for you on the dungeon masters block we hope that you have enjoyed everything that you've heard so thank you so much for listening to this episode of the dungeon masters block the place where we focus on the dungeon master the most important person in the game the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other people at the table. Have a great night, everyone. And, of course, keep on dungeon mastering. Goodbye.